Good morning, everyone. Good to see you here today. And today, Gloria is, uh, is away with Sarah. That's why Sarah wasn't up here. They were at uh, the Housen's 50th anniversary. And some of you know that the Housen's, uh, when they're not doing ministry, they're here with us. So those of you who know the Housen's, can I ask you to do me a favor? Could you send them an email or a note uh, or card? Uh, just to say, happy 50th anniversary from your friends across church. I'd appreciate that so much. Uh, I missed Gloria this morning because I couldn't remember if I wore the shirt last week. <laughs> and so if I, if, if, you, if this is the second week with this shirt, um, sorry, <laughs> what can I say? We're continuing our series in Genesis, and today we're looking at the story of the Tower of Babel, as you, I'm sure, surmised from the video clip. If you've ever lived in a cross-cultural setting, in a place that, where everyone speaks another language other than the language that you're used to, you know how very, very difficult it is. This year marks 25 years of marriage for Gloria and I, and just weeks after we got married, we took off for the country of Greece, and more specifically for the city of Thessaloniki. And uh, Athens is a place that's in the south of Greece that where most people can speak English. Thessaloniki in the north, not as much. And so we, we uh, newlywed couple trying to get adjusted to this uh, new city. Uh, we decided one day we'd go shopping to try to get some things for our, our house. We had literally nothing. We had a bed to sleep in. Uh, and for newlyweds, that's all you need. And, uh, but we thought we should maybe fix the place up a little bit. And so we went shopping together. And I said, Gloria, I don't, I'm not really into shopping for stuff for the house. Um, that's changed now. Gloria's got me trained well after 25 years. But back then, you know, Gloria, go do whatever you want. So I said, let's meet up in about half an hour. We met up half an hour later. And Gloria is sobbing. She's crying. I said, what happened? What's wrong? She said, well, I was trying to buy some fabric from the storekeeper, and he yelled at me. I was trying to explain to him what I wanted, and he couldn't understand, and I couldn't understand him, and so he yelled at me. So I said, well, hold on a minute here. What makes you think he was mad at you? Well, when I asked if he, if he had what I needed, he went like this. Now, that's kind of rude, doesn't it? Just kind of give a flick of the chin and a... In Greek, that just means no. <laughs> it's nothing sinister or bad or evil. It just means, no, I don't have it. But Gloria thought that, that the whole conversation had started out really badly. She thought the guy was being rude to her, didn't have time for this foreigner who couldn't speak Greek. But all he was doing was very innocently, innocently saying, no, I don't have what you're looking for. Only he abbreviated it by going... Would you like to learn a new word today in Greek? Everybody do this. Oh, look, it's fantastic, isn't it? And here's how you say yes in Greek. You just go. It kind of looks like no, but actually it's yes. It's just kind of a, a nod of the head. Long story short, um, we found it really difficult at first to try to function in this land where everybody spoke a different language. I remember my first experience before I went to Thessaloniki with Gloria, I went to Athens on my own and learning Greek. Uh, one day um, I thought I'd try my Greek out on one of the people at the church and I said uh, uh, that I wanted a, a candy. 
And when they looked at me strangely and then handed me a chair, <laughs> I, I knew that I got something mixed up along the way. And I discovered, in fact, that uh, uh, the word for candy is caramella and the word for chair is carecla. Uh, just, you know, a few consonants missing here and there, but uh, it's pretty hard to suck on a chair, isn't it? So anyway... <laughs> Uh, that was my experience. That was my very first experience in a land where people don't speak my language. Well, really, Genesis chapter 11 is really all about that. It's what happens when these people who were all speaking a common language all started speaking different languages. And the question is this, is what is it really all about? Well, I'm going to read to you the, the passage. It's not that long. And if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 11... And looking at verses uh, 1 to 9. And here's what it says. At one time, all the people of the earth spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they are speaking the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come. Let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. Now, just before I go any further, just a quick reminder quick disclaimer, the Bible is not a textbook that answers all the questions you may ever have. It leaves a lot of questions unanswered. Some things that we can surmise and and come to certain conclusions, but ultimately we have to admit we don't know everything. Is everybody okay with that? We don't know all the details, but what we do have here, folks, is what we need to understand in order for us to grow in our relationship with God, because embedded in this story the story of the, of the Tower of Babel is something that affects our relationship with God. It affects who we are and what we're supposed to do as Christians. So um, before we get into that, let me just say this. Uh, Bible scholars think that the Tower of Babel is, in fact, a ziggurat. And it's basically uh, a stepped pyramid. And you saw the picture there. I thought it was pretty good, actually. But it gives you a picture of how this, how this tower was built. And uh, it was built on the ancient site of Babylon, which is about 40 kilometers from the modern city of Baghdad in Iraq. Interesting, isn't it? The people of Babylon or of, of Iraq, they bragged that their tower reached up to the heavens. Now, here's what they wanted to do. In ancient times, people thought that the heavens were not that far above the earth. And if, if only they could build a structure that would enable them to get to the heavens, and they would be able to climb up and be like the gods themselves. Mankind had once again lost sight of God and become arrogant and self-sufficient. 
We go back to Genesis chapter 3, and if you were here that week that we talked about Adam and Eve, you know that the thing that Satan tempted them with was that they could be like God. And here we find these people trying to climb up to the place where they believe the gods or God reigned so that they could be one with God, that they could be equal with God. Now, uh, we'll get back to that in just a moment. But let me just say this. The word Babel, actually, was a Hebrew name for Babylon, and it means the gate of God. Interesting, isn't it? So that tower, they believe, was the gate to, to God. And they, uh, the, the Hebrew word of uh, uh, Bilal, which is similar to Babel, actually meant to confound or to confuse. So far from being the gate of God, it was actually the site of much confusion. And we'll see why in just a moment. But let me just say this before we go any further. The ultimate problem with the people at the Tower of Babel on the, on the plains of Shinar, but these were people who were unwilling to surrender their lives to God. They were unwilling to commit themselves to the purposes and the plans of God. So I want to talk for a moment about, and I made up a word this morning, and you can use this word wherever you want. I've copyrighted it. And it's, the word is this, unsurrenderedness. If you use that on your computer, the spell check will say wrong, red underline. I'm making this word up, unsurrenderedness. This is, this is a perfect word to describe who you and I are. The people sitting beside you this morning are people who have a tendency to be unsurrendered to God. That's who we are. We don't want to do it God's way. We want to do it our way. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We called this original sin. This is one of the great doctrines of the Christian faith. And in order to understand the coming of Jesus Christ to this world and the, the message of the cross, you need to understand that about us. We have this original sin that has come from our father and mother, Adam and Eve. And we, in our likeness to Adam and Eve, are people who are unsurrendered to God. In 1969, a man by the name of Frank Sinatra, has anybody ever heard of him? Yeah. Frank Sinatra, uh, one of the 12 disciples, (laughs) he sang a song called, I... I just had to give you one word and you got it. I did it my way. Now, the story, uh, the song My Way, was a story about a man who's coming to the end of his life. He's very comfortable with his mortality. And he reflects on his life as death approaches. And he's taking responsibility for his life and the way that he's lived. He is, uh, he's saying how he has dealt with all the challenges of his life and how he maintained a respectable degree a respectable degree of integrity. This song so resonates with us that it was, of course, the number one song, not just for a year, but for years. In fact, almost every major artist, almost every major music artist has somehow taken that song and they've, they've done something with it. Elvis, uh, John Bon Jovi, Pavarotti, David Bowie, Uh, Sid Vicious, rapper Jay-Z, and and the list goes on and on and on. In fact, all the opera singers have sung, everybody has tackled that song. Why? Because it somehow strikes a chord with our sinful nature. I did it my way. Nobody told me what to do. 
I took control of my own life. I took responsibility for my own actions. Oh, I didn't always get it right, but I did it my way. Somebody pat me on the back. I did it my way. Now, here's the thing, folks. This is our biggest struggle in life, is that we do it our way. Now, if you're a parent here today, I'm a parent. I've, I'm, I'm 52 years old. I've lived a few years. I've made mistakes. Anybody with me on that? Just a few. Some are not willing to admit that. Some are just, it's too painful to think about. Let's move on, Pastor. You made your mistakes, and the last thing in the world you want is for your kids to make the same mistakes. Anybody say amen to that? Yeah, yeah. You don't want your kids to make those same mistakes, and you want to teach them the way that they should go. Well, guess what? Better even than an experienced parent is God. And here's what God wants for you and for me. He wants us to have, to experience, to enjoy what we call the abundant life, a happy life, a fulfilled life, a life that is as much as possible free of the pain and the suffering that everybody on this earth experiences, especially if they don't do it God's way. If you're here today and you've lived any number of years, you know that every time you did it your way, it has meant trouble, pain, and suffering. Anybody agree with me on that? Every time you do it your way, it's pain and suffering. Every time you do it God's way, well, we experience the life that God wants us to have. Now, this attitude of unsurrenderedness says, I'm not listening to God. I'm not taking God's advice. This book is good for some people. Some people need a crutch. Have you heard that one? My grandmother was famous for saying that. Christianity is a crutch. It's for weak people. It's for people who who are weak-minded, that don't know how to take control or responsibility for their own life. It's for people who say, not, not only am I not consulting God, I'm not consulting anybody. And I'm not going to church. The church is full of hypocrites. Anybody heard that one? And how many know it's true? Yeah. Yeah, it is churches full of hypocrites and a lot of other bad people. But the difference is, is that we're people who understand how much we need God in our lives. We're people who are trying not to be hypocrites. By the way, you know what a hypocrite is? It's somebody who's an actor. Trying to act. That's what a hypocrite is. It's just an actor. No offense, Mark, wherever you are. (laughs) Mark knows that. He would tell you that himself. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more exhausting in this life than to try to act like you got it all together, to act like you're happy, to act like everything is okay, to act like you got nothing wrong, when inside you're in pain and suffering and you're dying. And God invites you to come to him and learn what it means to surrender your life to him. The unsur- unsurrenderedness says, God, not your will, but mine be done. Imagine praying like that. But we do. How many of us go into prayer and we, we tell God what he should do and how he should run the universe and how he should run everything and how he needs to get that person straightened out? Lord, you got to fix my wife. She's a pain in the neck. And God, you got to fix my kids because they still won't listen. And God, you know, what are you doing up there, God? 
To be surrendered to God says that you come humbly before him and you say, God, what is your will for my life? Pride and arrogance, folks, is in fact the human struggle. No one will tell me what to do and no one will tell me what I'm doing wrong. I'm going to do it my way. Look at the scripture verse in Genesis 11.4. It says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, now watch this. This is really important. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, in this verse is the clue. It's the key to unlock this chapter, to unlock this passage of scripture. What is going on here? Well, after the flood, Noah told, or God told Noah that he and his descendants were to spread out over the earth and multiply. Look what it says here in Genesis 9-7. As for you, God says to Jonah, or to, Jonah, to Noah, well, Jonah was in a boat, uh, says to Noah and his family, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply in the earth and increase upon it. Now, if you look at this verse in the Hebrew language, here's, here's a literal interpretation of that verse from Hebrew. And you be fruitful and increase. Listen to this. Roam in the earth and increase in her. In other words, God is saying to Noah and his family, you need to scatter throughout the earth. Now, you just read in the verse before, and if we can go back to that verse in Genesis 11, it says, we're going to build a tower. Otherwise, we'll be what? We'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. We don't want to do what God says. We don't want to roam throughout the earth. You'll see what this means in just a moment. Let's, let's look at number, another verse. It's Genesis 1.28. Now, you see these, these verses are a reflection or an echo of Genesis 1.28, which says this. God blessed Adam and Eve when he created them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Listen to this. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. By the way, can I just say this? Because there are some people who call themselves conservatives that believe that, that when it says that we're, to, we're supposed to subdue the earth or rule over it, that means that we can do whatever we want with this earth, whatever we want to do with this world. Wrong. We're talking about caretaking this world. We're talking about partnering with God, and listen to this, partnering with God and establishing his rule over the face of the earth. The people of the plain of Shinar were not having any of it. We're not going to do what God wants to do. We don't want to do what God's will is. We don't want to fulfill God's purpose. We want to do what we want to do. They had no interest in fulfilling the commands or the purposes of God. Folks, this is the human problem. All of us struggle with this. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do it my way. God was looking for a people to partner with him in his plans and his purposes. God wanted a world where he, as benevolent father, could rule over and care for this world with you and I being his agents, his partners in this life, in this world. The people of Shinar said, no. God, you can, you can go establish your kingdom somewhere else with somebody else, but God, don't, don't tell us what to do. Don't tell me how to live my life. 
Don't give me commands on how I should live from day to day. I'm going to do it my way. And folks, if you're a parent, you know that that is every parent's struggle with their children, dealing with, I want to do it my way. So God puts an end to this building of the tower. How many know that God is sovereign? How many know God's in control? How many know that God knows what he's doing? And how many know that when every, every time any man shakes his puny fist at God, God does not go running and saying, oh, no, they don't like me. <laughs> oh, oh, no, my plans are going to fail. How many know that God is sovereign over all? You can shake your puny fist at God. You can build your, your, your skyscrapers. God can shake it down in a minute with an earthquake with the breath of his nostrils, if it will. God's sovereign. He's in charge. So God put a stop to it. And the best way to put a stop to this building of the Tower of Babel is he steps down and he confuses their languages. And now everybody's speaking another language. What, what on earth are you talking about? And can you imagine... You're talking to someone and you're assuming that, I mean, yesterday they understood every word you were saying. Today, you're just playing stupid, aren't you? Why aren't you understanding me? Why aren't you listening to me? Why are you playing games with me? And next thing you know, everybody realizes that they can't live together anymore. Now, I wish I could get into this because this, I, we could really go on and on discussing uh, some, of the, some of the findings on this, the anthropological findings on this, but I don't have time to get into that. But let me just say this to you this morning. God confuses, his, confuses the languages of the earth so that his kingdom can be established, so that his will will be done. How many know that God's will will be done whether or not you want to partner with it or not? God's will will be done. And so he confuses their languages and he's scatters them. The very thing that they didn't want, God did. You don't want to partner with God? Well, you have to do it the hard way. I learned very, very early as a child. I have an older brother, an older sister, and a younger brother. And I watched them. They didn't do what, their, what my parents wanted them to do. They would have to do it the hard way. So not wanting to be tortured, <laughs> I, I learned that it's better just to do what they say rather than go through all that because you're going to end up doing what they want anyway. We call this being intelligent. <laughs> Don't tell my brothers or sister I said that. So folks, what is, the, what is the best thing for us? What brings happiness to our lives? How do we enjoy that abundant life that Jesus spoke about? I can tell you it doesn't happen by doing things your own way. Did you know that you and I were created in the image of God? That you and I were created to, to work in partnership with God? Did you know that? A lot of people don't realize that. They, they treat God as though he's some sort of uh, you know, Shakespeare Shylock. He wants his pound of flesh and you just sort of you know, give God what he wants and hopefully he won't touch you or bother you or hit you or hurt you. God describes himself as our father who loves us and cares about us and wants the best for us. And God says the thing that's going to bring joy and happiness to your life is when you surrender to his will and purpose. 
And that, my friends, is really what Christianity is all about. God is constantly looking for people who will do his will, people who will partner with him for his purposes. Even today, those who do the will of God are called Christians. And those who do not do the will of God, the Bible describes as heathen or pagan, as people who try to reach the heavens, who fulfill and pursue their own ambitions and do things their own way. So I have a question for you today. This is the part of the service that everybody loves. Are you doing God's will? Are you doing God's will or are you doing your own will? Are you pursuing God's purposes or are you pursuing your own purposes? The life that is surrendered to God says, like Jesus, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Could you say that with me? Father, not my will, but thine be done. And what's God's will for this world? Well, the Bible tells us, and everybody knows this scripture verse. I mean, you, I mean, you, you should know it by now. It's usually on somebody's placard at some football game, John 3.16, right? Which says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So what's God's plan for this world it's to, establish, it's to establish his benevolent fatherhood over the earth. We call this the kingdom of God. We, this is what we call it. We come to the New Testament and we understand that this is called the kingdom of God. When we go back to Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel, that, my friends, is the issue. It's the kingdom of God that is at issue. The rulership of God that is issue, at issue. And what are these people saying? We're not having the rulership of God. No, thank you. We're going to do it our own way. We're going to build a great city, and we're going to build a great tower to the heavens. We don't need God because we're going to be God. Essentially, everybody who does not do the will of the Father is essentially saying that. I'm not doing God's will. I'm going to be God. Now, I don't want to harp on that. I want to rather look back to what that verse said, God, for God so loved the world. Do you know that when Jesus left this earth, he left a commandment? And the commandment was this, to go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. To go and tell people about the loving kindness of our Father, which art in heaven. God is looking to be the father and leader of all who will trust in his loving kindness, who will trust in him. Dennis uh, has been sending, Dennis Weeb in Burundi with the team has been sending us reports every day. And Andrew, you may have heard, read the report that said that 15 kids gave their hearts to Jesus. 15 kids in Burundi heard the good news about a loving, benevolent Father in heaven who loves them. A Father who wants to be their king. A Father who has welcomed these children into his kingdom. 
Now, for some of you, you know, you've heard this kind of stuff over the years, and so it's like, oh, yeah, that's great. That's great. Two thumbs up. Here's five bucks. Help the cause. But what you have to stop and consider that is that this is Burundi. Has anybody ever heard of the genocide in Rwanda? There's a movie out called Hotel Rwanda. Well, guess what? The exact same thing happened in Burundi. The only thing is that there was no movie about it. There was no Hotel Burundi. I can tell you one of the strangest, most surreal experiences of my life was at the pastor's conference that I did in Burundi last year. In that room of over 100 pastors were Hutus and Tutsis. I know it sounds like kind of funny names. It makes you want to giggle, okay? So get out of your system. Hutus and Tutsis. Hutu pastors and Tutsi pastors sitting together under one roof when you consider that just a few years ago they were killing each other with machetes. And that the Hutu pastors from their pulpits were suspicious of the Tutsi pastors and Tutsi Christians, and the Tutsi pastors and Christians were suspicious of the Hutus, even amongst the church. Now listen to this. The kingdoms of this world, the Bible tells us, are going to pass away. Do we understand that? The kingdoms of this world are passing away. And the day is coming when Jesus Christ will return to this earth, and by all accounts, it could be any time now. Because things just can't go on the way they are. The kingdoms of this world are passing away. There's a new kingdom coming, the kingdom of God. And his reign will last forever. And he shall reign forever and ever. And those of us who have surrendered our lives to Christ, who no longer live that unsurrenderedness, but now say, God, I'm yours, I surrender my life to you, God, have your way in my life, you will not only have the benefit and the joy of abundant life here on this earth, but you will experience the promise of eternal life. And the Bible says that you and I will reign with Christ forever. Cross Church is committed to surrendering surrendering to God's will. That's why we go into all the world. You know, it's hard to believe that after all the messages, all the scripture verses, there's still people, one or two I I hear, complain, why are we going overseas? Why are we going so far when we can do the work here at home? Well, I'm going to tell you, we are doing the work here at home. We've got a church here, and we've got staff here that do the work here at home. But the Bible tells us, Jesus Christ, our King, tells us to go from Jerusalem out to the uttermost parts. It's not either or, it's all. That's why we do it all. And one of the things we're talking about right now is doing somewhere between here and the uttermost parts. We're talking about going up north next summer, and that'll be one of the trips, God willing, that we'll be able to take. Because we believe that God has called us to bring this message of his love to the whole world. And you and I are God's agents in bringing hope and life and healing and salvation and freedom from that original sin of I'm going to do it my way. 
Has anybody ever heard of uh, speaking in tongues? In Acts chapter 2, we see the counterpart to Babel. It's called the day of Pentecost. Look what it says here in Acts chapter 2, verses 4 to 8. This is edited slightly so you get the point here. It says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Utterly amazed, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Folks, here's... Here's what you need to recognize. You need to see the, the parallels between Genesis and what happens in the New Testament. We see God creating Adam and Eve. In John chapter 1, it says what? In the New Testament, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And without him, nothing was made that was made. And then we move on to the fall of Adam and Eve. Sin enters in. And it tells us right in Genesis chapter 3, the gospel message that someday Satan would strike Christ at the cross, but Jesus would crush Satan's head. Genesis chapter 3. And we move on to Noah. And we said that the ark represented Jesus Christ and all who were safe within the ark, all who were safe in Christ would be free of the judgment that is to come. And then we move on to the Tower of Babel, and we see Acts chapter 2 unfold. You see the parallels. You see the reversal of what happened in the Old Testament. You see the reversal in the New Testament. And the Bible says that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out on those who were waiting in the upper room. And there they began to speak in other tongues. Folks, the parallel is unmistakable. At Babel, you had confusion. You had a breakdown in unity. You had people who were forced to submit to the will of God. And then you move to Acts chapter 2, and now you see the opposite. You see unity. The Bible says they were together in one accord. No confusion but rather they're together in one accord. At Babel, they were pursuing their own will, their own plans, their own agenda. When we get to Acts chapter 2, what are they doing? They're surrendered to the will of God. They're ready to say, God, here am I, use me. And these people who are baptized in the Holy Spirit become his agents. And the Bible says By the end of that chapter, that over 3,000 people were added to the kingdom of God that day. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now because what God is calling for are people who will say, Lord God, I'm surrendered to you. I'm willing to be your agent, to be your partner in reaching this broken and hurting world because this world needs Jesus. That's why this team went to the Philippines and came home all pumped and ready to go. Deb, you going again? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, you just have to, no thinking about that. No hesitation. Oh, yeah. Why? Because you and I were created in the image of God. You and I find our greatest fulfillment in partnership with God. 
That's when we are at our very happiest, our, our most joyful, our most fulfilled. When you and I are saying, God, I'm ready to do what you want me to do. Hear my Lord, send me. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 12, it says, after all this happened, it says, they were amazed and perplexed, and they asked one another, what does all this mean? What does all this mean? Folks, it means this. i got to stand for this. It means that God is sovereign in the heavens and on the earth. And man can shake his puny fist at God, and man can come up with his own plans and his own dreams and his own ideas of the way things should be. And he can try to pursue his own agenda, but ultimately God's will will be done. God's will will be done. Someday, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Is this triumphalism? Absolutely not. This is not bragging. This is not conceit. This is not the victory dance. No. This is the glorious, glorious statement that the love of God triumphs in this dark and broken and hurting world. That, my friends, is the gospel. That is the good news. The question is this. Will you submit to God? Will you surrender to him? And will you say, God, I want to be a part of what you want to do in this world? On that Sunday that we commissioned the Philippines team to go, somebody touched by the Spirit of God after that commissioning service said, I got to go next year. Give me an application form. I want to sign up. I want to go. That person's here today. There are others who said, I, I couldn't go this year, but I am touched. I am thrilled. I'm delighted at the opportunity. I got to go. I want to be a partner with God. Now, can I just say this to you in closing? You know, you don't have to go as far as Burundi to be used by God. How many know that? In fact, the Bible says that God wants to use you wherever you are and with whomever you are friends with or fellowshipping with. God wants to use you. He wants you to be his agent of love, his agent of healing, his agent of light. I had, uh, I'll close with this, I had a, a really rough day and someone, I won't say who it is, recognized that I was looking a little down and they said, you know what? God is greater than whatever it is that you're dealing with right now. I don't want to know the details, Pastor, but how about you let me just pray for you? And right there in that moment, a person put their hand on my shoulder and we were reminded that God is sovereign Overall, he's in charge. And I felt that spirit of heaviness lift as my brother in the Lord just put his hand on my shoulder and said, let me pray for you. And together, we went to the King of kings and the Lord of lords 
and said, help, Lord. And in that moment, I found, refound my happiness, my joy. Folks, that is what it means to be an agent of God. There's a whole world out there that's waiting for you to show up for duty. To show up for duty. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we are amazed at your love for this world. This world where every day on the news we hear of one atrocity after another, of fighting and hatred and wars and rumors of wars, of discrimination, racism, sexism, of every, every evil imaginable, and then even those evils that are beyond our imagination. And yet you say you love this world. God, we know this world as it is will not go on like this forever. And we know that the day is coming when you will return, Lord Jesus, to set up your kingdom forever on this earth. It'll be a new earth, a new heaven. And God, we know that those of us who put our faith in you, we belong to you. We are agents of your kingdom. And I pray, God, right now that you would mobilize Cross Church so that everyone who says, I belong to Cross Church, would go forward into this broken and hurting world with the light of your love. God, make us agents of the kingdom. If there's somebody in our life right now that we know needs someone to pray for them, God, give us the courage to say, let me pray with you, please. There's somebody that needs material help. Give us the courage, oh God, to share from our abundance. If we're feeling the call right now to sign up, to go up north or to go to Africa or to go on a missions trip, God, give us the courage to sign up, even if we think we can't afford it. But God, I know this. This morning you are speaking to us by your spirit and you are telling us those things that we need to do. Help us to live the surrendered life. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone say it with me. Tell the person beside you, go live the surrendered life.